Well, hello again. Good to see you all. I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the beginning of that chapter. While you're turning there or swiping there, I'm going to tell you where we're headed. Tonight, our focus is on our third core practice, which is to grow disciples. At the Neighborhood Church, our faith is not just meant to be believed, it's meant to be lived. So we have these core practices, which are rhythms that we live together in humility and by God's grace, that are really our version of what every Christian is called to, to follow Jesus, to love neighbor, to grow disciples, then to create space, and then to bring peace. So tonight, we're looking at our third practice to grow disciples. And tonight in Luke 9, we're going to see Jesus's inner circle of disciples in action. And we're going to explore not only what they do, but how they do it. And in that case study, we're going to explore how they grow in both their mission and in their faith, okay? In their mission and in their faith. Do we, as Jesus' disciples today, want to grow in our mission and in our faith? Let me ask it another way. Do we want to grow in our kingdom influence and impact Do you want to grow in your influence and impact in making an actual tangible difference in your community and in your world? Or are we just kind of cool with like Netflix and whatever? Do we want to grow in our trust and dependence and reliance and interactive relationship of faith with the living God? Or do we want to just kind of do a job and then just whatever? Do we actually want to make a difference in our mission and in our life of faith? Let's look at a case study of Jesus' inner circle of disciples in Luke chapter 9 and talk about how we grow as disciples in both our mission and our faith. You with me? From this point on, I'm going to preach in Russian because Ramon's here. Ready? Ready? Yeah, right. Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, Leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Do we as Jesus' disciples today want to grow in our mission and grow in our faith? That's the question. To that end, we look at our third core practice in which we commit to invite people into a relationship with Jesus by baptizing, teaching, and then sending them on mission. We didn't invent that language. We stole that language from Jesus when he told his disciples to go out and make more disciples. Okay? 
He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And by the way, he said, now go, go do it. You ain't need to make a disciple of me. I'm sending you to go make disciples. And then those disciples made disciples, and then those disciples made disciples, and on and on down the line until 2,000 years later, we're all sitting in this room, hopefully, as disciples of Jesus. Now, we stole that language from Jesus, but it kind of synthesizes what we're up to. To baptize someone is to welcome them in to the new life of Jesus. But let me say this. We baptize people after they've given their life to Jesus, okay? You don't go into the baptismal waters a non-Christian and then come out a Christian. You go into the baptismal waters to affirm and celebrate your adoption that has already taken place. You say yes to Jesus, you are my Lord, and then we affirm that in baptism. You go under the water in union with Jesus who was crucified and buried, and then you're raised to walk in a new life, and then we party. So you baptize them into the way of Jesus, but then you continue to teach them to obey the way of Jesus, and then you say, okay, now go and make more of you. Now, we say in our church, another stolen phrase. This one from the late, great Dallas Willard. Let's see if you can fill in the blanks, ready? Discipleship is being, ooh, try again. Woo, with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. Let's try it again. Discipleship is being with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus, okay? You're baptized and you're with Jesus. Then you learn from Jesus, you're taught to go and live like Jesus, you're sent. This is discipleship in a nutshell. If you wanna hear more about that, guess what? It's the third time I've preached on this core practice. It's on our website. Now I wanna get to a case study of what it looks like to grow in our mission, in our faith. But what happens if you just forsake the go and obey, go and live, go and send others? What happens when we forsake the living and the obedience? Let me illustrate. Science was never my strongest subject in school. That's why I'm a pastor. So why did I think that taking physics the first semester of my first year at the University of North Texas at 8 a.m. was a good idea? It was a bad idea. Now, 8 a.m. was the lecture, okay? That is your typical classroom experience. You go and you sit, somebody lectures you, right? But university science classes are a package deal. There's not just the lecture, there's the what? The lab. The best part? Ooh, says teacher Toby. <laughs> Dr. Sinclair over here. Y'all, my lab was at 4 p.m. 
I had the lecture at 8 a.m. I had a lab at 4 p.m. Do you know how much napping and eating I can do in eight hours? (laughs) Much less other classes. Do you know how much ping pong I played as a freshman at the University of North Texas? Do you know how much I didn't do physics? Let me tell you. Ask me about my lab and my memories of the lab. I can't tell you. I never went. Now, and if I'm lying, I'm dying. I haven't taken that class in 16 years. And I still have a stress dream of waking up and going to the lecture, sitting down as they hand out a test. And I look at the test and I said... I have never seen any of this information in my entire life. And I walked out of the class. It's not just a dream. That actually happened. So then I realized the wonderful freshman experience of withdrawal. And I talked to my advisor and I sent an email to the professor. I said, I'm requesting that I am withdrawn from this class. And this is what I remember. One sentence. Yes, I expect you should withdraw as you have not shown up. Now, here's what you need to know. You cannot, you should not, you must not ignore the lab in your life with Jesus if you expect to grow as a disciple. Let me say it another way. Discipleship involves on-the-job training, okay? But here's the trouble. When I think about the American church, particularly in the Bible Belt of America, I see a lot of believers who are committed to attending a lecture once in a while. But few disciples are committed to living their faith in the lab of everyday life. You see, it's a package deal. We can do this, and it's not at 8 a.m., praise God. You can come and be lectured to, praise God. Jesus had his disciples come and be lectured to. He sat and he taught and he taught and he taught. But here's the trick. When Jesus teaches about forgiveness, then he shows them how to forgive from the cross to his torturers. Father, forgive them. Then he sends us out into the world to get married and be in relationships in which we need to forgive And so we can hear about forgiveness, we can see about forgiveness, but to follow Jesus is to be put into situations in which you've got to learn on the job how to forgive. Jesus teaches us to pray. His disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you pray, say. Boom. Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Then... We see Jesus at the beginning part of this gospel in Luke regularly withdrawing to lonely places to pray. We see him in the garden before he goes to the cross praying. So we can hear Jesus teach us to pray. We can see Jesus pray. But then he leads us out and tells us you're going to be in situations where you must pray. And here's the trouble with praying. You learn to pray by praying. Here's the trouble with preaching. You learn to preach by preaching. I'm still learning 
And many of you in this room were very gracious to stick with me as I was learning on the job. But the point is, Jesus teaches us, then Jesus shows us, but then we gotta go live it out. You can't just read about forgiveness. You can't just read about prayer. You can't just read about loving our neighbor and say, I follow Jesus. If you're not committed to the lab, because discipleship involves on-the-job training, because that's what transforms you and grows you in your mission and grows you in your faith. So growing disciples involves this on-the-job training as we grow in our mission and grow in our faith. And this is what we see in our case study of Luke chapter nine. So I wanna get back into that, but let me give you some overview. We've heard this word sin. Sin on a micro level involves missing the mark. One of the words for sin is a word where you're trying to line up a bow and arrow and you, you shank it and it misses the mark. If the bullseye is God's will and way for his image bearers, his people that he's created, the people he longs for and loves, sin is missing the mark on what it means to be truly human, okay? That's a micro level. That's the me and my heart and my junk and my problem level, okay? But sin has infected and marred not just me and my heart, but me and my whole world, You see, sin has this macro level element, which is a way of thinking about unraveling all of God's good and beautiful creation, okay? If somebody knitted you a scarf and you wore it and it's beautiful and it's awesome, and then you do what I do, you accidentally grab it and it starts to unravel. And then you do what I do, instead of cutting the thread, you just go to yank it real hard, but then you just yank it too much and it starts to unravel. God created a good and beautiful world and then sin enters in and it just begins to spread and infect and unravel God's good things. So if sin in a micro level is me and my heart and my issue, then I go out into a world that is infected on a macro level by um, greed and racism and violence and hurt and hangups and habits and addictions. There's a micro and there's a macro and here's what I need you to know that Jesus' ministry addresses all of it. Jesus' ministry was about bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven and confronting both the macro and micro levels of sin, death, and evil. So when Jesus goes around walking the dusty roads of the ancient Near East, when he's exercising and expelling demonic evil, he is showing the world that he and the kingdom of God are pushing back the forces of evil that have contributed to this infected world of greed and violence and oppression, but it's localized on a micro level of this person that needs the darkness to be kicked out of their life so that the light can shine in. Every healing of Jesus, when he heals the woman with an issue of bleeding, when he heals the blind man, when he heals the mute person, there are ancient prophecies that predated Jesus that says when the kingdom of God comes, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the poor will have good news preached to them, 
them. Jesus healed on a micro level this healing, this sickness, this problem, but it pointed beyond itself to that day when the kingdom comes in fullness and we won't have to do this anymore because there's no more cancer, no more blindness, no more deafness. He did it on a micro level with John today, but it's pointing ahead to a day when he'll wipe every tear away and we don't have to go and do radiation therapy anymore. Jesus is good news that's a so much bigger gospel than, well, he just forgave me for my sins and my lust and my pride and my anger. Yes, and he's renewing all things. We need a gospel that's bigger than, pray this prayer, Jesus forgives you, you're good to go for heaven, now skip the lab. Jose Humphreys in his book, Seeing Jesus in East Harlem, says it this way. For as many breakdowns that exist on the micro level or the macro level, okay? For as many breakdowns that exist, Christ redeems, repairs, and continues redeeming through a multiplicity of signs and wonders, pointing us to a place of righteousness, justice, and peace, and joy, heaven. In the scriptures, each of Christ's miracles pointed to a whole gospel for the whole world, yet it was localized for particular needs, okay? Jesus' ministry is addressing the micro as well as the macro. Now, he continues, that's what made Jesus' ministry holistic, restorative, and integrative, Each sign and wonder tethered people back to God with those who experienced miracles becoming a sign to others of God's wondrous work. Jesus, in his ministry, addressing the breakdowns in our own hearts and in our world, goes out healing people, exercising demons, and preaching good news. He is bringing the kingdom of God into every breakdown. And when those people are acted upon by the kingdom of God, they begin to follow Jesus. And then they begin to tell their story. And then other people hear that story and they come to Jesus. And then they start to follow Jesus. And a disciple is making another disciple and another disciple. What does the word disciple mean? It's being with to learn from how to live like. Let me give you a one word answer. An apprentice, okay? How does a carpenter Learn to carpent (laughs) by cutting and learning from a master craftsman. I have some tattoos, and because one of them took a long time, I talked to my tattoo artist about how he became a tattoo artist. And you learn to tattoo by tattooing, which is kind of scary. Because he said they sell like fake skin or pig skin, but it's not like human skin So I just learned by giving a lot of bad tattoos. I'm glad that I saw him 20 years on because I didn't want to be one of those bad tattoos. But he learned under an apprentice. It's on-the-job training. Now, 
Why did I just spend five minutes talking about Jesus's holistic, restorative, integrative kingdom ministry? Because when Jesus calls disciples, they're apprenticing to Jesus's work. So Luke chapter nine, guess what he does? It's time for you to go and tattoo the world with the good news, both in the micro sense of our own hearts and our own lives, and then in the macro sense of pushing back darkness and disease. And so what does he do? He sends them, but before Before he sends them, he gives them what? Power and authority. And he sends them out to go kick out demons, to go cure diseases, and he tells them, here's how you're gonna go do it. Now, if you've been around church or Sunday school, you've heard that these disciples were not the tippy top of the class. Did these disciples have all the best resumes? Did they have more internships beyond Jesus? for a year and a half kicking it around Galilee? Did they go to the best schools? Did they have all the best talents? Did they have all the answers? Listen, did they have all the answers to every objection that their friends and neighbors and villagers would bring to them? I can't share my faith, I can't talk about Jesus because what if they ask this or what if they say that? Can I tell you, friends, that the thing that you have that Ramon reminded us of earlier is your story your story of holistic micro and macro healing when we give ourselves to Jesus as Lord and we allow him to transform us. You have your story and we have his power and presence and authority. So here's what I love. Jesus, in verse one, gave power authority. Jesus, verse two, sent them out. Jesus, verse three, told them, here's what you gotta do. Then, guess what? Verse six, you ready for it? They healed, they went, they proclaimed. And I bet you they were as surprised as anyone that it worked. So the better question is, did they have the resume? Did they have the, the better question is this, were they obedient? Here's the better question. Were they willing to work in the lab and not just sit in the lecture? Think about walking on water, okay? (laughs) Peter goes, Lord, if you ask me, I'll step out on the water. Who does that? Who says that? If you're in the boat, you're like, Jesus is walking on water? What the heck? And you take a picture of it. You don't say, you want me to go? Does Peter have any idea how Jesus is doing that? Do we? No, but he goes, and he steps out of the boat. In Luke chapter nine, they're about to feed 5,000 people and Jesus goes, you give them something to eat. And they pull out their phone and they pull out dominoes and they start ordering 400,000 pizzas. They have no idea. He says, go get the fish. And you know what they do? They go and get it. Peter obeyed, later In the feeding of the 5,000, they obeyed. They have no idea how it would work, but they obeyed. And here's why I think they were able to heal and go and proclaim good news. Because the disciples did what Jesus did, because the disciples had what Jesus had. And that is the presence of Almighty God. Jesus is a walking, talking, breathing, eating, sleeping, laughing, crying, hurting, embodiment of the word of God 
but he was also completely and entirely dependent on the Father's instruction and the Holy Spirit's power. The disciples did what Jesus did because the disciples had what Jesus had. He shared with them his power and authority. And later he sends them, God himself, the Holy Spirit. You, if you said yes to Jesus, if you are following Jesus, he has given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. How on earth could Jesus then say, you're going to do even greater things than me? Because we have what Jesus had. But dig this. This was a mantra we heard a couple weeks ago when Carla, Jared, Robert, and I went to the Ecclesia National Gathering. Ecclesia is our church network. It's a relational network of missional churches. This little phrase stuck with all of us. Maybe we don't see big things because we don't expect big things. Maybe we don't see growth and transformation not just because we've forsaken the lab. It's because... We haven't tried to step out and get some on-the-job training of what it looks like to heal and preach and see darkness pushed back in the authority of Jesus. Maybe we don't see traction and movement because we're not expecting that it just might come through us because we're disciples too, aren't we? So I think we grow in mission by being willing to do what Jesus did with the power and the authority he gives. It's why we've been praying like some maniacs over at the rock and with some of you. We're going to put our hands on you now and we're going to say this a lot. In Jesus' name. We're not a Pentecostal church, but we're learning from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters that the only authority we have is Jesus's and he shares it. And it's on loan And we invoke that, we call on that. We don't say, in the name of Reverend Adam Wood, who skipped that lab in North Texas. In Jesus' name, in his authority, in his power, and in his presence. Jose Humphreys, who I quoted earlier, this little book called Seeing Jesus in East Harlem, he says this, and this, this I want you to hold on to. Our openness may become the penultimate material for miracles to take place. Who knows what that word penultimate means? It means second to the last thing. The second to the last thing of a miracle, of transformation, the second to last thing, the next to last thing before a God thing is you being willing to say, yeah, yeah, I'm open to that. Yeah, I think you can heal. Yeah, I think you can kick out that darkness. Yeah, I think you can. And, and your openness, that becomes the next to last thing. Story after story in my life, in mine and Amy's life, I heard a story of a guy yesterday. He was uh, with uh, um, Jesus in a time alone, and he had been in a kind of fruitless and difficult relationship with a young gal. He's a single guy, and he finally got to this place where he felt God was asking him to release that, and so he released that. He opened his hands, and within days, he meets a girl that he's now nearly about to get married to. Amy and I found ourselves on a trajectory toward this church because a Sunday afternoon we said, maybe God has called us to look beyond our own little circle in our own little neighborhood in our own city. And the next day I got a call that maybe we should move and become church planners and see what that looks like. 
You know, the thing is this, it's hard to receive from God when your hands are constantly closed, but when they're open, it's easier to take hold of what he has for us. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we go open-handed, we just might see the next thing is a God thing and a miracle. Last Saturday, we pray for our brother who's deaf. He comes through the clothes closet and we see Two of his family members last night, she was eager to write down on a piece of paper because she's deaf too. Deaf too. Tabitha writes, guess who got a job the day after we prayed last week? And I'm telling you, you're about to hear another story of when our openness in the microwaves and the macrowaves become the next thing before the God thing. And so we were talking about these quotes in our leader meeting on Thursday. And we're talking about story after story of healings and and powerful things. And we're starting to say, can we dare be open to this movement of God and these amazing things? And then Carla starts to tell a story and she's laughing about it. And it's a little thing, but it's a God thing. And I said, can you share this on Saturday? And so Carla, will you share this on Saturday? Let's have Carla come up and tell this story. Because it's a story of openness and obedience. So I'm going to hand the mic over and I'm going to show you this picture on the screen and you're going to see how God can even work through Facebook. Oh, my God. oh hi. Uh, this is a really silly story, but it happened to me this week. Um, so I cleaned my garage. So I had all this stuff that we don't use. So I put it on the Facebook um, marketplace to sell it. So I started selling some stuff and I had this little rocking chair and this woman messaged me and tells me, I really want that little rocking chair. Can I get it tomorrow morning? And I said, yes, come get it. It's yours. Well, the next day in the morning, she messages me and she says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pass. I woke up and I have this horrible migraine and I'm not going to be able to go get it. And when I read that message, I go, I had to pray for her. And I don't know this woman, and I start typing. Oh, I'm so sorry about your migraine. I pray that the Lord will heal you, that any pain you're feeling right now goes away. In the name of Jesus, amen. And then I look at it, and I'm like, I don't know this woman. I don't know if she believes in Jesus. So I know a lot of you have done this. I go, delete, 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 delete. And I just type, okay. And then I felt it in my heart again, like, no. Like, pray for her. So delete, delete, delete again. And I'm like, again, I did the prayer on Facebook Messenger. And I'm like, I hope the Lord will heal you. Take that pain away from you, like right now, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I got a message from her later, like a couple of hours later, saying, well, my headache is gone. If you still have that rocking chair, I can go later for it. And I was like, yes, like she got healed, and I don't know her. And, I mean, it happened. Yes. And she still sold the rocking chair, ladies and gentlemen. We can laugh about these stories 
And Carla and Jared and Robert and I were sharing these when we were traveling to the gathering. We heard stories of scoliosis being healed in a guy in his 40s. We were sharing stories in our own life. In the micro and the macro waves, he is moving. And so the question that, that leads me to ask and to give to you all, when we're thinking about openness as the next thing before a God thing, when we're thinking about this case study in which the disciples actually went out believing that they could do what Jesus did because they had what Jesus had, this is the question. What's the next yes that the Holy Spirit is nudging you toward? What would your life look like this week to not click delete, 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 but to put yourself out there in faith? What's the worst that can happen? You look stupid. That's okay. We're all stupid. At the very least, you prayed for this person. You spoke to this person. You learned and you grew in your mission because you kept stepping out with the power and authority that he gives. We grow in mission by being willing to do what Jesus did with the power and authority that he gives. I want to spend the next few moments talking about growing in faith. This case study of on-the-job training, it's not just about what the disciples did. Guess what? It's about how the disciples did it. One of the mantras we talk about at the neighborhood church from time to time is this, how matters. How we do what we do matters. Let me say it this way. The gospel message must not only be told, but embodied. You don't go around telling people that Jesus and life in his kingdom is a life of generosity and sacrifice and sharing and loving. And then watch, go out and not love and not share, right? Disciples are unmade in our failure to embody the gospel. I told you some sweet stories. Amy, I don't want to steal your parade. She's going to talk about the neighborhood table later, but there is a person. Well, same bat time, same bat channel. Girl, we late anyway. You're going to talk about it later, okay? Hold that thought and remember this exact point of the message. You ready? Okay. Disciples are unmade by our failure to embody the gospel. Let me say it this way. Parents, are we embodying our message at home? Does the lab match our lectures? If discipleship is being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus, our kids are with us to learn from us how to live like us. Does it look like Jesus? Because I fail, I get short, so maybe it's how I ask for forgiveness and step into that. Maybe it's how I need to help as best as I can cultivate and nurture an environment that's full of not just grace, but truth. And I think that this is the call to these littlest disciples among us. As they're over there in the ark at this moment, how are we cultivating an imagination of the kingdom of God that is holistic, not just for the little microwaves, but for the whole world? The gospel message must not just be told, but embodied, which is why Jesus says these strange instructions in verses three to five. Did y'all remember this? Maybe I never preached this because this has always struck me as odd. Jesus gives him all this power and authority to go do the awesome, like, greatest hits things. 
And he goes, by the way, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. And I'm like, uh, okay. So they're going to stink, they're going to be broke, and they're going to be stuck without any protection from a staff, no bag. This is important. The disciples weren't the only guys running around town trying to announce some good news. There were some philosophers that would go, and famously they'd carry a little fanny pack, a first century fanny pack, and after they'd say their eloquent speech and philosophize, they would do this number, right? Like the buskers you see in the subway of New York City or something like this, or just down the street. He says, none of that. You offer this free of charge. No money, no extra shirt. The extra shirt bit was interesting because the poorest of the poor had a shirt. So in solidarity with the poor, in solidarity with those who are dependent upon the hospitality of others, go out. So then whenever you find a house and enter it, stay there. This is important for two reasons. Number one, people in the ancient Near East valued hospitality above any other virtue. And you still see that in places in the Middle East today. Now, the second reason this is important for them to go and depend on the kindness and hospitality of strangers and to stay there is because if you went and tried to upgrade to first class, you tried to upgrade to the presidential suite, does that matter? Does the how matter in honoring this guest who's putting you up? Well, on the flip side of the coin, if people do not welcome you, leave their whole town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This is a symbolic gesture that we might say we're washing our hands of this, okay? It might be like saying, your funeral, we tried to announce that there's a new king. His name is Jesus. He's actually not new. He's the king, the promised one, the anointed one. You should have heard about him for centuries. He's here. And if you don't want on board, that's on you. So we see this in the book of Acts. Paul will do this. He even shook out clothes one time. This is a symbolic gesture. But the how matters. How they went was completely and utterly dependent. So finally, we grow in faith by living how Jesus lived, and that is in complete dependence. You read the Gospel of John and you see Jesus saying, I only speak what the Father wants me to speak. I only do what the Father wants me to do. He lived his life with openness and dependence. And he came with no riches or any of that kind of thing. He emptied himself for the sake of others. We grow in faith by living how Jesus lived, in complete dependence on God and complete dependence on others. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus was supported by a group of women who financed his ministry. In a patriarchal society, Jesus did not exploit his own reputation or power. He was cheerfully and willfully supported by a group of women And he lived in dependence and mutual submission with those with him. But I want to close with this. The most important word you missed comes in verse 6. After all those instructions, verse 6 starts this way. You see it? So they. 
I need you to understand that the disciples are never grown alone. Well, what about our brother Jamal? Not with any Christians. To be a disciple, to be an apprentice, is to have a master. When Jesus sent out the disciples in the Great Commission, he says, and behold, I am with you. There is always a witness in our faith. We are never truly alone. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of Christ and the care of the Father. So I can say unequivocally, disciples are never grown alone. Our master has given us his body, which is the church, and his spirit within us. So that's why we say we follow Jesus together. That's why we go on mission together. Even when you are out on your own on Facebook Messenger or otherwise, understand this, you are never going alone. There is always a yes the Holy Spirit is nudging you to take. There is an example that Jesus has given you to follow. Jesus gave, but will we go and heal? Jesus sent, but will we go? Jesus told us not just the what, but the how, so will we go and proclaim and embody that message? I think we can see amazing things because we still have the power and the authority. We were talking about this on Thursday. And if I could just tie off this growing in mission and faith, and I know we're late, but I wanna take a crack at this because we were talking about the ways in which we grow by practicing and embracing the lab and trying to learn on the job. And so we were talking in our leaders meeting from a training we did years ago with Bob Hyatt from the Ecclesia Network and he was talking about how all of this on the job stuff is inviting us to take a step out into some uncertain territory. But it's the next thing you've got to do to take a step before you find the God thing to come and give you what you need. And Jason goes, Indiana Jones. I said, what? And then Robert goes, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. It's awesome. It's the best one. I said, I've never seen it. Jason, on his phone. It's on Netflix. So this image is from guess where? Robert and Jason. Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Go watch it. It's two hours. I didn't watch it. I had a, pre- I had a sermon I had to prepare for. It. At the very end, they're looking for the Holy Grail. I watched a YouTube clip. And he's standing on the edge after he's made it through this twisty pathway. He's the only one that's brave enough to figure it out. And the last challenge before he gets to the other side where the Holy Grail is, is called the leap of faith. And he's got this little diary that Sean Connery gave him. Was Sean Connery his dad? Okay. Sean Connery gave him a diary. And the last challenge is the leap of faith. And he's looking over the ledge, and he can't see a thing. But he does the very Indiana Jones thing that Robert and Jason charaded for me the other night. He does this. He takes a breath. He puts his foot out, and the dude steps down. And he doesn't step into nothingness and fall to oblivion. He steps onto this. Do you see these 1989 special effects? In his diary, there is a path with nothing underneath it. But when he took that step of faith, he found actual hard rock that was just kind of disguised against the cliff face. 
And when he stepped out, he found that the leap of faith was actually just this pathway that opened up to his goal. This is why I mention this. When we step out into mission and into faith, I'm convinced that Jesus will give you what you need when you need it. He's asking for openness. He's asking for obedience. Why haven't I grown? Why haven't we seen this? Why haven't I seen any movement? Why haven't I seen any traction? Can we start by saying, where is it that you haven't taken that step yet? And maybe, just maybe, when you take that step of faith, you'll be met with what you need when you need it. It doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, but it will form you. It will grow you. And we can be grown as disciples so that we might invite others into a life with Jesus by baptizing, teaching, and then sending them out on mission and in faith. Amen. Okay, so tonight's benediction is by Aubrey Smith, our dear friend. May we grow up together into Christ our head, who knits us together into one body for his glory. May our love for one another be our witness to the world that we belong to Jesus, that he is alive among us. May we press into holiness as those brought from death to life. May we encourage, admonish, correct, teach, mentor, and sharpen one another as we imitate Jesus and are transformed into his image together. May our gatherings be a signpost of God's coming kingdom, where the broken find refuge and safety, where the sick find prayer and healing, where the lonely and fatherless find family, and where we all see Jesus more clearly. May we walk in the power and boldness of the Holy Spirit, declaring the riches of God's deep and wide mercy for this world through Jesus Christ. May our worship redirect us to love our neighbor as God loves them and realign our dependence upon the faithful and just power power of God to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Go in peace.